It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Everywhere you go Take a look at the five and ten It's glistening once again With candy canes and silver lanes that glow It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas Toys in every store But the prettiest sight to see Is the holly that will be on your own front Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody? Good, good. Listen, I'm really excited to be here today. Um, if you're brand new, my name's Danny, and I am one of the pastors here at Kesed. This is Pastor Tom Lovelace. He is our executive pastor. And yeah, let's give a hand for Tom. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Tom does a lot of stuff around here, including um, our monthly or, or every six weeks or so updates. And uh, the reason we're doing that, especially if you're a guest, this is going to feel kind of strange. But uh, we are in the process of moving our entire church downtown, and it takes a lot of communication and a lot of transparency, and so it's a high value for us, uh, even during the holidays. And so we're going to give some time here, just a few minutes, to Pastor Tom to kind of share with you guys where we're at in our project, what's going on, uh, what we know, what we don't know, and so forth. And so uh, I just wanted to kind of preface that uh, this is not a normal thing, but it's an important thing for our body. And uh, also want to preface that Pastor Tom is who is answering a lot of these questions. If anything up here today you want to know more about, um, you can email him uh, at toml at kessachurch.com, and uh, he'd be happy to, to answer any questions you guys might have. Good? Okay. Pastor Tom. Thanks, Danny. Good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you. I'm going to dive right in. Uh, let's recap November giving, if we could. Uh, November was a good, strong month for us for general fund. Um, our income was $56,000, well ahead of uh, what we budgeted, so we praise the Lord for that. However, our, our building fund giving was a little short at $9,300. So this is just a reminder for those of you who fill out a commitment card to, uh, to please get those funds in uh, by the end of the year if possible. And uh, we would sure appreciate that. So uh, uh, next is our architect. Uh, I have weekly updates from our, our architect. Um, and he is planning on having the drawings into the city by Christmas, which is basically a couple of weeks. So that's really encouraging for us, Danny, because then we get to wait for the city to do what they do. So, so we're, uh, we're encouraged that uh, things are moving forward. So there's the update there. Uh, we met with a major bank this week for our loan. And as you know, uh, we've already gotten one proposal from a bank um, that was exciting, but uh, not quite as exciting on the terms. So we're working on terms with other banks. We hope to have a proposal from them before Christmas also. So be praying about that. <clears throat> Lastly, uh, we have a family in the church who has offered to match dollar for dollar funds given through the end of this year up to $20,000. Mm. So for every dollar you give through the rest of this month, it'll be matched dollar for dollar. So. For those of you who have been waiting till the end of the year, it's a great time of year to give. There's so many of you probably, right? You're like, I was waiting. Yeah, I'm so excited. that's what I was thinking. So it's going to go really quick. Is so. It, so is it dollar to dollar for the building fund specifically? Building fund specifically. Okay. okay. Yeah. And so we're just very thankful for, for, for all your giving. Uh, we're, we're thankful for uh, your attendance in church and for your support. So we just, uh, just want to thank you. Yeah, amen. Can we just thank Pastor Tom? Um, 
there's so much happening in our community right now, and uh, I'm excited to share with you uh, before I jump into the message that this year uh, we are continuing with our red envelope giving. And a red envelope is something that traditionally we've done year after year after year here at Kesson. And it's basically where we take an offering in addition to everything else that we have going on here and we give the entire thing away. And this year there were just lots of different opportunities to do lots of different things. But with our future move downtown and with us becoming a part of that community down there, we thought that we would like to uh, do a repeat of giving to Open House Ministries um, again this year, and uh, we talked amongst the elders, and we talked amongst, yeah, uh, they have, they're, just, they're just doing incredible work down there, and we're partnering with them, we hope, with even more in future things, and so next Sunday, we are going to be uh, taking a separate offering in addition to our normal offering, and every single dollar, not, not anything from there that's missing, or, or anything taken out to cover costs of anything. Every dollar that's given in that offering will go straight to Open House. And they will be here with us next week to actually share what they're doing so that uh, you can kind of understand a little bit better and more uh, what's going on with them. And so I was really excited to announce that. We've never done a repeat, so I was sort of like, well, but I just, I just kept coming back to them. And I thought, well, God, if that's what you want to do, then that's what we want to be a part of. And so uh, I'm super excited about it. It's going to be a great thing. So that'll be happening next Sunday. Yeah. All right, so let me pray, and then uh, we're going to dive into the second part of our Christmas series called Chorus, and I'm really excited about it. I'm, I'm fascinated by the talk today and by some stuff God did that just kind of uh, helped me through a few different difficult things. I've been uh, walking through the, this, this whole year. I really I got to kind of face through this series and through today's talk, and I hope that happens for you as well. I hope this Christmas season, as... as uh, as fun as it is, is also something that's also incredibly enlightening about who you are and where you are in your journey and your story, both with each other and with the Lord. And that's, that's what today's topic is going to speak to, I believe. But at the end of the day, the Holy Spirit gets to do whatever he wants, right? We can walk in with our agendas and our plans and our sermons and our songs, but if we're really, truly the church of God, if we're really truly the, 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 the church that belongs to the greater kingdom that he is leading and he is growing, then we, of course, are governed by him and his spirit and whatever he wants to do. And so uh, I just want to take some time and uh, just ask the Lord to come and make his agenda known and move how he wants and impact how he wants. And so let's just lift this time to him. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, I know there's lots of people in this room from lots of different backgrounds. I know there's people here that are so excited about the season ahead of them. People who are feeling blessed beyond their wildest imaginations. People who are uh, just, just really thinking this Christmas might be the best one yet. I also know, Lord, there's people in this room right now and that is not the case. They are struggling. They are confused. Uh, they never thought they'd be where they are today. And Lord... They're here looking for answers. I ask, Lord, in both those cases that you would, you would meet those needs, that you would make yourself clearly known, that it really would be about you and your agenda for healing and hope and uh, bringing more and more relationship from you to us so that we can truly experience the best life we could ever have. I thank you, Lord, for this room. I thank you for the people in it. I ask that every distraction would be laid aside as we just enter into a time of connection, a time of gathering, a time of ministering from you and with you. We praise your holy name and all of the Lord's people said, amen. Amen. 
if you have a Bible, I am in the book of Luke. Uh, if you were here last week, you know that. Uh, this particular series is kind of unique because we are studying uh, really kind of the first Christmas carols that are all presented in uh, the book of Luke that are precursors and a few of them during the birth of Christ. And the reason we're doing that is because inside this chorus series, we really want to understand this concept of what it means to, to be in harmony and to be in community and to be in connection with what Christmas is about, which is bringing relationship to us. That's why you walk through the store. I love walking through Christmas stores. I went to the mall last night with my wife, and everybody's smiling, and everybody's excited. And, and I think as Christmas gets closer, that starts to, that bell curve leaves as people get more stressed and run out of money and realize they don't have the right gifts. But man, the first like few weeks of December, you I mean, you could knock an old lady down, and she'd be like, no problem, Merry Christmas. The last few weeks of December, you step in front of an old lady's car, and she will run you over. But, but we're in the first few weeks. We're in the first few weeks, and we're experiencing this, this merriment, this celebration that I really do believe is something very holy, because at its core, that's what Christmas is about. It's about connecting with another person's person, not with their job, not with their, their, their avatar, what they present, but with who they really are, both celebrating something bigger than themselves. That's gospel at its core right there. And that's what we're experiencing this season. Last week, we looked at Zechariah's song found in the Gospel of Luke. Zechariah was a Jewish priest, and he sang a beautiful song of praise for the birth of his son, John. John was, uh, as Zechariah sang, the one who would show others who Jesus is and point them toward salvation. And it was an amazing song. It was an amazing thing to see how God was using this man and allowing this man to set himself inside the Christmas story, reminding every person in this room that this isn't something you read from far off. This is something that you put yourself within and that you read from a place of standing. You read from a place of sitting. You read from a place of singing. You are the story because the story in so many ways is for you. Today we're going to look at another song of praise, also found in Luke, and this is Mary's song. But before we do, let's get a sense of the story we are about to be a part of. In this story, there's three main characters that we're going to read about. Mary, as we know, the, the virgin, the young woman, probably around 15 years old, some say even younger, who was betrothed to Joseph, who the angel Gabriel, second person in the story, uh, came to and gave an announcement, which we'll talk about. And then you will eventually here of uh, someone of Elizabeth, who's also in the story, the same Elizabeth from last week. There is also one other character of whom this story revolves, and that, of course, is Jesus. I told you we'd get to him. we just get to him differently than you probably expected. If you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. Let's read this foretelling, starting in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. Of his kingdom there will be no end. 
And Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And I absolutely adore this verse. I think this is one of the most powerful verses in all of Scripture. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I've had a lot of people over the years ask me, what, what do you think was so special about Mary and why Mary? And I think there's probably been lots of Marys and lots of Josephs throughout time. But I think what makes a Mary a Mary and a Joseph a Joseph are thoughts and concepts and perspectives like that. People who are willing to truly be whoever God has called them to be according to the words he speaks into their life, whether it be through the Holy Spirit's prompting through the studying of scripture, through someone in their life that they know and is filled with God's presence who says to them words of the Lord. It is so unbelievably powerful when people will be willing, when people are willing to say, I will be God, not I will go. I meet a lot of people who go for God. I mean, I'm a, I'm a doorway for that. Hey, I'm gonna go to this. I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna go do that. I'm gonna go do that. Don't, what do you think, where do you think I should go? Going is easy because going, it, it, it's easy to go because you can always just come back. It is a whole other thing to be. When God calls you to be something, you can't unbe that. As a matter of fact, God has called all of us to be children of God, and you're supposed to change from your old life to your new life, but you can't go be a child of God. You can't go child of God. You have to be child of God. I think some people, unfortunately, I don't mean to make this too sensitive because it is Christmas, although I don't know if I care. Some of you in the room, you are a go child of God. You're like, I go Sunday. I go downtown and give socks to people who are cold. I go here, and then I'm a tyrant at work. I'm a tyrant in the home. I'm a tyrant on the road. I'm a tyrant at the mall when I see young men crossing in front of my car three days before Christmas. You know who you are. <laughs> you go, child. You don't be, child. When you are a child of God, when you are a secure child with someone, then you do all kinds of different things. You go all the time, but you don't get lost in the going because you always know that you're going to be a child at home, that you belong. This is such, a, such an incredible thought, and I didn't want to pass over it because I think sometimes it's like Mary won or, in your opinion, lost a great cosmic raffle. It's like God went, mm, you. And it was like... <gasps> And now you're kind of hoping God's not calling you to do that. Well, let me, just, let me just give you, let me just remove that pressure from your life. Because the truth of it is that if God did call you to do that and you were like, yeah, I'll go do that. I don't know if the angel would have just departed. I think he wanted her to be the child of the, mo the, the mother of the most high child. He wanted her to be the one that we talked about. And she said, do to me whatever you need to have done. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord and let it be. How many places in your life right now do you just need to say, let it be? God, I don't understand. I don't understand some of the blessings right now in my life, and I don't understand some of the struggles that I've been going through 
for, it's really weird how sometimes you'll be processing something and something else will come up that you thought you were over like from 10, 15 years ago. And suddenly you're repro, I got a whole bunch of mm-hmms in the room right now, like a whole bunch of, all right, we just locked in. Don't lose it, don't lose it. Whole bunch of people were like, yes, that's me. I'll be driving along, I'll see a Christmas tree and I'll be like, I remember when my papa didn't take me to cut down a Christmas tree. And you're like, why am I still struggling with this? I'm 64 years old. But there's stuff, right, in our life that, that when we don't process, when we don't fully set before God and wherever we're at, wherever we're at with our story, then we aren't being children of God. We're just going and doing the work of the children. Then God ends up wanting to bring us back so that he can speak to those areas. That's what's happening here. God is calling someone, transforming someone to be something, and he's highlighting for the rest of the world that what God wants to do is take what you think you are and change it. There's all kinds of stuff people thought Mary was. She was betrothed. She was young. She was a virgin. She was a woman during a very difficult, difficult, difficult time that it was to be a woman. There was all kinds of things the world said she was. And then God says, you're going to be my child and you're going to be the mother of Jesus Christ. And she says, be to me whatever I need to be. I'll be whatever I need to be. And God says, I will use that. Maybe some of the stuff in your life you're carrying, you've not realized God wants to use that. He wants to bring glory to himself. And frankly, if you hadn't been dealing with the things that you're still dealing with from 15 years ago, you wouldn't be who you are today. Maybe it's time for you to embrace those things. Most of us are familiar with this particular passage in the story. As a matter of fact, it's usually read with a nativity and a star and a little animal on stage or something cool to get everybody to come to church. But before, most people know that, but the reality is a lot of people don't spend time on the text that's next. The text that's next is actually something really powerful that happens because Mary, hearing about Elizabeth, decides to go and visit her. And so this is the story of her showing up um, to Elizabeth, still very, very pregnant, by the way, or very, very newly pregnant, by the way. Um, uh, John, I believe, was six months older than uh, Jesus, and so she would have been six months along. And Mary was brand new pregnant. And so she walks in the house and this is what happens. Verse 39. In those days, same chapter, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. Verse 41. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. At this point, overwhelmed by the moment and the miracle of being chosen to carry the Son of, the God, Son of God in her womb, Mary breaks forth in song. She's there with Elizabeth. She's being confirmed by someone else in the community, in the faith, that she is becoming who God's asked her to become, and she decides to sing. And she starts off with this very simple phrase, verse 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. 
And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who hear him. From generation to generation he has shown great strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud and the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Now, I want you to stop and just consider the phrase in these songs, and if you can, just go back to the first phrase. The first verse in the song, I think, really exemplifies what the whole song is about. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Stop for a moment and consider the circumstances this song is being sang from. Now, I told you earlier that what society thought Mary was, young, a virgin, already betrothed, was a pretty intense description of her life. God comes... Uh, Gabriel comes through the word of God and says, your life's going to change. You're going to become something else. And she says, let it be. Let it be to me as you say, whatever you want to be. Now, I told you this is a difficult circumstance. What you may not realize is that in this culture, Mary was about an hour away from being stoned. See, in this culture, for Mary to be pregnant out of wedlock meant that she had uh, obviously uh, done things that were not allowed within the culture, and so therefore death was immediately going to be the only verdict that anybody in society could, could share upon her. And so she goes to Elizabeth to this place, not knowing for sure if what she uh, understood about what the angel said was true, sees Elizabeth, who is a miracle that the entire city, based on last week, knew about, and sees Elizabeth, and immediately Elizabeth prophesies and says, yes, what's in your womb is of the Lord. And immediately Mary knows that she is in a place that God is going to provide for her, and so she sings. She is singing from a place of realizing she's just been rescued. Because having confirmation from someone inside the community that everyone knows is filled with God, that is a living miracle that says, yes, God is for you, is, a, is an immediate revelation to her that God is for her. But there would have been a journey from where Mary was when she found out she was pregnant to Elizabeth that would have been treacherous. She would have been moving mentally through places that you and I probably could never imagine. Could I really be? Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I did something I didn't, maybe something I don't understand. She would have been in torment. She would have been struggling step by step by step, going to find out this confirmation that God was using her in this powerful way. Some of us in this room, God says, I want to use you in a powerful way. And you expect to wake up the next morning with like sunshine pouring in through your windows. You're like, why isn't the rainbow of heaven landing on my house? Did you not hear what God wants to do? But instead, there's this journey that has to happen. And it is brutal. And along the journey, you then doubt the calling that God put on your life. You then doubt that God wants to use you. You then doubt that God wants to do something powerful. I have done this time and time and time again. As a matter of fact, this has happened to me so many times that now I just plan on destruction after God tells me great things. I'm like, well, we're going to die. When the downtown building was fully signed over, I remember sitting in my office saying, this will be the time when everything falls apart now. And, and, and in some ways, what we were prior to the building has fallen apart. These kinds of updates that Tom gives, I'll be honest, they make me nervous. 
Like he just gets up here and just gives clear numbers. He talks about money as anybody who's grown up with me in church knows it's a sensitive area for me. I never use dollar amounts. Tom's like, we had $56,347.21. It's a little less than I thought we were going to have. And by the way, where's all this end of the year giving that we talked about? And I'm just like, oh, oh. And it's good and it's right. But my stuff is like, oh, if I came to church and that's what I heard and I didn't understand the context, I might be. And I tell Tom, I'm like, Tom, is that? And he goes, no, Danny, we're going to be authentic. We're going to build the church upon the people God's called us to build the church with. (sighs) Okay. How many months till we're downtown? I have no idea. It depends on what the city comes back with our, the revisions on our plans. But I do know this, that ever since that building was given to us and ever since we as a church started stepping up financially, everything we were as a church has fallen apart. I had a staff meeting yesterday where people asked me, what are we about now? <laughs> and I'm a vision guy. I mean, that's, that's like, that's confusing. I'm like, what do you mean are we about what are we about now? Like, everything's changing. And I'm realizing, you're right, everything's changing. And there's a journey between now and whenever we move down there where I think God will confirm, hey, I did this, and good job, guys, that you stuck with me. And by the way, I use this time because God doesn't waste anything to dismantle all this stuff you thought you were so that I could rebuild you into church I need you to be. How many, how many, times, how many times have churches told you the things they're going to do? I have no idea what we're going to do downtown because I'm still in process with you of figuring out who we're going to be. And that process is going to be determined not by me, not by prayer and fasting alone, but by us as a church going before God like Mary, being in the journey, being in the financial giving, being in the prayer, being in the sacrifice, being in the serving, being in the willingness to to let go of what we love and what we think is important in order to pick up whatever it is that God wants us to call our church. And so I'm holding it, as Corey Timboom said, with loose hands. Because when you hold your future with tight hands, it hurts a lot when God tears it away. Some of you in the room, that's your only movement today. You just need to move from this to this. And that is so scary. I'm scared. And I'm super excited. Because I think along with every single step that Mary got closer to Elizabeth's house, I think, I think she got more excited. She thought this could be real. Could I be carrying in my womb God? Could this be real? What if I fall right now? (laughs) I would think that. Like, what if I trip and fall? And it's like, well, that was fun. Verse 37. And then Mary fell. Mm. You know, what if something happens? What if I don't eat right? Right? What if, what if, what if, what if, what if? I don't know all those concerns that new moms have, right? Of, Of just nervousness. But now nervousness that you're carrying the creator. I think she got excited. And I think she was scared to death the whole way. And I think that's what makes so very powerful her song. First verse, one more time, encapsulates the whole thing. My soul, not my voice, not my mind, not my heart, my all. My soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That's where we're supposed to be living from. Lives that live magnifying the Lord. Lives that live proclaiming that God is bigger than our problems. Many scholars actually believe that this uh, particular song came from a reflection of scripture that Mary probably had already known about. 
She probably had a good grasp on the Old Testament scriptures like a lot of uh, good uh, Hebrew girls would have because her song is very similar to the song of Hannah found in 1 Samuel chapter 2. I'll just read the first uh, three verses of, uh, of Hannah's song in 1 Samuel. And it says this, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from our mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. Hannah, like Mary, did not sing her song based on a casual knowledge of God or the scriptures. Both women worship God from a deep understanding of his character and action. To Mary, he is the God who extends mercy. To Mary, he is the God, according to her song, who lifts the humble. To Mary, he is the God who fills the hungry. And to Mary, he is the God who remembers his promises to his people. Although what may be most profound, the most profound part of Mary's song is that beginning line, I believe my soul glorifies the Lord. The word uh, glorifies right there is actually the word uh, megalano, megalano. And I am pronouncing it right because I looked it up. I got a lot of people in here. I got a lot of Greek Hebrew people in here. And so now I'm just, people are like, listen, it's not megalano, it's megalunia. And I'm like, I, I'm going to just start looking this stuff up, but this one is Megalon, okay? And it's used for the word glorifies in the NIV or magnifies in the ESV and King James Version. And it basically means to make bigger, okay? It's, the, it, it's kind of that root word of that idea, mega, right? It's to make bigger. It's to make larger. And the concept is very straightforward, that in the midst of all your potential problems, in the midst of everything going on in your life, like Mary, in the midst of potentially being stoned and ridiculed and for, sure, for certain not getting married, Mary chooses instead to make God bigger and trust him in her circumstances, just like Hannah before her. You hear all the time people saying these these phrases and these ideas about their, the, 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 the immenseness of the problems they're facing and the immenseness of the stress. But I love the quote that someone said to me just passing through a hallway, stop telling God how big your problems are and begin telling your problems how big your God is. <laughs> and they just walked down the hallway and shut the door and I thought, that's not respectful or kind. And then I wrote it down, right? <laughs> and I think this is so true. It seems our natural tendency is to automatically think about how big, massive, or insurmountable our problems are and forget what Jesus tells us in Matthew 17, 20. For truly, Jesus says, I say to you, if you have faith like a a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus says, look at your problem in the eye today and sing your song of praise to God. Perhaps you will discover as you make God bigger, your problems will begin to be seen in their proper size. When difficult, stressful, and tumultuous times arise in your life, what do you run to comfort for and help if not God? Have you ever self-evaluated this? Have you ever processed your own emotional health and spiritual health when it comes to facing these problems? Because there's not a soul in the room who hasn't faced a problem bigger than their own understanding. Do you run to your own initiative and ability? Do you run to money or hobbies? addictions? Do you run to super religious things like family or spiritual discipline? 
And yes, those are things that some people will actually use as a crutch to never deal with the problems because instead they'll just lose themselves in things that they see or have seen in the past can keep them distracted enough from really dealing with the heart issue. And the heart issue is that Jesus has not transformed them to become the person yet in that area they want to become. Do you ever run to Jesus? I think we all know that at some time or another, we're going to have a problem too complex or hard for our own understanding. We're going to face problems that cannot be solved by money, even lots of money. Our addictions only serve to allow us to escape our problems. And then when we come back to reality, the problem has usually, almost every time, just gotten worse. And our family and our spiritual disciplines, though helpful, and sometimes a source of encouragement eventually fail to offer the stability that we really need to get through all circumstantial situations because it is only God, the author of those spiritual disciplines, Jesus Christ, the author of those spiritual disciplines that brings forever change. Faith in Jesus is the only thing that gives us the ability to see that God the Father is bigger and more capable than any of these other things. And it is him and him alone that will empower us through his Holy Spirit and divinely enable us to see the answers we could not see before, no matter how difficult or ununderstandable our situation. Uh, about a month ago, I was uh, traveling. I was doing a little bit of coaching with some churches. And uh, there, I, w- I had the privilege of speaking on this panel uh, to these people who were doing this rooted discipleship thing that we do. And uh, there was a majority of speakers all staying at the same hotel. And there was this one lady, uh, and uh, her name was Kay. And she was a speaker at this particular conference. And Kay and I were, the, were uh, uh, one of the only few sets of people there that came alone and so didn't have a rental car. And we didn't have a rental car because uh, I Lyft and she Ubered everywhere we went, right? That's just what I've done for a long time unless I go with a group. We were sitting in the lobby, and I began to joke with Kay about how much better Lyft is than Uber. Now, I'm not trying to start a war here, but it's important for my story. And she said, absolutely not. More expensive, Lyft is, she said. And, uh, and it, it, she had these four or five lame reasons. As a presenter, I said, that's just a terrible discussion, but let's, let's talk this out. And so we had this ongoing three-day debate, right, as we Uber and lifted back and forth from different speaking sessions. And the ending day, just a beautiful end of a story, another pastor said, what are you guys doing? And, and we said, we're going to go to the conference. And he said, okay, can I go with you? I Uber. And Kay said, huh, 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 huh? And I said, I'm so sorry that you've fallen into the Uber trap. Lyft is so much better. Right? And, I, and again, these are all silly things, and, and I don't, if you're an Uber driver, by the way, don't take this serious, but you should definitely switch to Lyft, because it's far better. <laughs> so uh, anyway, so I told her, I told her and this other gentleman that were with me, I said, here's the deal, here's the deal. I will lift us, okay? I will lift us, I'll pay for it, to the conference, and we will have a discussion with the Lyft driver about why he drives Lyft versus Uber. And they said, fine. So I scheduled a Lyft, and boom, showed up sweet on time. I mean, like three minutes. And showed up in a very nice vehicle. And I looked at them and they were like, you know, we'll see. So I get into the back seat and uh, with the other pastor, Kay gets into the front seat with this gentleman, um, probably about 60 years old, maybe mid 50s, 60 years old. And in his car, he has two stickers, an Uber and a Lyft. And everybody makes eye contact with each other like, this is happening. And so I said to this gentleman, we'll call him David. I said, David, 
there's an ongoing debate happening in this car right now. It's been happening over the last few days about which is better, Uber or Lyft. And he goes, oh, hands down, Lyft. Right? And so I punched the back seat of Kay, like a, like a respectful gentleman would. <laughs> right? And she laughs, and he laughs, and she says, tell me why. And he gave these three or four reasons about his experience with both companies and these, this kind of support system thing that Lyft has and, and also some other stuff that was pretty cool. And then he adds this to it. He goes, and trust me, I'm not just, uh, I'm not just filling your guys' ears. I work for the Department of Defense, and I do a lot of research, and I'm telling you, Lyft is better. And, of course, at that point, that piqued my interest. Because I have to read in between the lines of everything. So I was like, okay. But when he said that, I, of course, punched the back of K's seat again. <laughs> right? Because that's what gentlemen do. And I said, but before we talk about you a little bit more, David, hands down, Lyft is better. And he goes, I think so. And this is, again, what I think. And so, so K goes, okay, okay. And the other pastor goes, okay, okay. And I said, David, can I ask, uh, you said you work for the Department of Defense. Do you just, do you just drive Lyft for fun? And he says, and I want you to tie this to the relationship that we just talked about, about Mary and her circumstances. I want you to tie it to this concept that when you're willing to engage God and become the person he's wanting you to become, you will see things different than you saw them before. He says, very quietly, he says, actually, about a year and a half ago, my wife and daughter were killed in a car accident by a drunk driver. And of course, we're all pastors in this car, and so we went silent. And I said, David, I'm so sorry about that. And he goes, yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's been unbelievable. Uh, the church, the church I go to has really helped me through. And I said, so, so lift. And he goes, yeah, um, I realized because I work on some really dangerous stuff, it's important that my mind's clear, he said. These are his exact words. What I do at the Department of Defense, it's very important that my mind's clear. And I told them, because of what has happened to me, I, I can't do the job that I'm supposed to do, and I'm going to have to take some time off. And so I took 18 months off, and I grieved the loss of my wife and my little girl. And I grieved and I grieved, and then I wanted to, to do something with the grieving, to, to become something more. And he goes, so I started driving Lyft specifically on Friday and Saturday nights so that I can go pick up other drunk people to make sure they get home safe so they don't kill anyone else's wife or daughter. <laughs> and everybody just kind of lost their minds at that point. Because here we thought we were going to speak at this conference and give wisdom and guidance and definition to what it means to be a child of God and help other people. And our Lyft driver did more for us in that car than all the sessions and all the coaching. Because he was willing to be the person God called him to be in spite of unbelievable circumstances. When your problems are insurmountable, it is God who will teach you to use them for his glory and for your healing. If you don't see that, then they will overwhelm you and destroy you. This little story has haunted me in a beautiful way for the last month because I truly believe that what Christmas is reminding us about is that God is in the process of dismantling his children like he dismantled Mary, like he dismantled Joseph, like he dismantled so many children in the Bible before and so many children after them, not in order to hurt them and bring them pain, but in order to share his story with them so that they could be the people 
they never even realized they could be so that they could have an impact through their story and through their trauma that they never thought they could impact. We are called to be these kinds of people. We are called to not waste any part of our story, not the, not the beautiful stuff, not the traumatic stuff. We are called to face it, to know it, not to do it, but to be human beings. We are called to be these children that God can use. When money is tight, we are called to pray, focusing on God. We are called to lift up our hearts to him. When children are sick, we're called to pray. When the job is shaky, we're called to pray. When the diagnosis is not good, we are called to pray. We are called to go before God and grieve the losses and not pretend like it doesn't matter. We are called to be the children who face what is happening all around us so that people that don't even know are watching, we don't even know are watching, can see God move in an incredible way. We're called to pray because at this point we can lift these burdens onto God, Scripture says, and he will carry them for us. And we're called to praise. This is another tool designed to remind us inside these problems. And you see both these things happening inside Mary's song. We are called to praise God. We are called to make him bigger. So that when we make God bigger, our problems return to their normal size. Just like Mary, our praise is supposed to come out of a deep place, a fearful place sometimes, a broken place sometimes, a dismantled place at all times. Some of you, you don't feel like God answers your prayer. Maybe it's because you don't feel from a I need to be fixed place. You feel from a hey, I have some ideas for you God place. I'd like a little more. I'd like this issue to go away. When's the last time you prayed from a dismantled, open-handed, God, what do you want to do with this trauma? What do you want to do with my story? What do you want to do with my, uh, my apatheticness? That's a deep brokenness for some of you. Apathy in some of you, you're like, well, I'm not really passionate, but I'm not not passionate. That's horrible. There's a word for that in the Bible. It's called lukewarm. And it has this whole spitting effect in God's presence. Be passionate about what you are and then take the stuff that's broken about you and go before God and watch him dismantle it and receive it and use it and be a blessing to others. We are called to pray and we are called to then praise that our God is bigger than any circumstances to use us to bring glory to him and healing to others. That he has and will always take care of his own. That he has and will always keep his promises. What would happen in this room right now if we begin to lift our prayers and sing our praises to God for his goodness instead of songs to the enemy of our defeat and loss? It's always been your choice. It has always been your song. Christmas reminds us of this, that we too are called to magnify the Lord, to make him bigger in the midst of our circumstances no matter what. We are called to be people that are willing to be authentic, like Tom is really authentic about our finances. We are called to be people who are really authentic about, like David, the taxi, the Lyft driver. We are called to be really authentic about how we are and where we are and what we're struggling with. And that's what makes Christmas so, so powerful if we were willing to receive the song of Mary and the song of Hannah and the song of these people who've gone before us who magnified God in the midst of their own dismantling. This is the beautiful opportunity you have. 
And that is to not have to be anything more or less than God called you to be, to be an open-handed child of God, bringing glory to him through prayer and praise and magnifying him in light of your problems, no matter how large, no matter how much of the landscape they cover, God covers more. And so what I wanna do is I wanna give us an opportunity to pray and an opportunity to praise. So there's people in this room right now. Something in this service jumped out at you. Something impacted you. Something triggered you. Something uh, affected you. And it's not me. And it's not, it's not this, this place or, or anything else. It's the Holy Spirit prompting you to take that next step, to face that thing in your life, to go tell somebody, to share with somebody. But first and foremost, you've got to move forward like God and like Mary's song, say, God, let it be. If you are in a season of needing to say, let it be, I want to encourage you to stand up because it is exposing. And it is dismantling. If you're in a season of needing to say, God, I just need you to take my future, take my hopes, take my dreams. God, let it be to me, whatever it is you need it to be. I want you to stand up because it's a little embarrassing to not feel like maybe everything's going how you thought because it's a little bit treacherous and because maybe it's your opportunity just to tell God you and you alone are all I want you and you alone are my only hope and so God I pray to you now Father in this Christmas season may this impact everyone's life in such a dramatic way that they are never the same. May they take the steps they've been afraid to take. May they be willing, Lord, to expose uh, themselves to you so that they can be authentic about where they are in their faith and their fear and their failures. God, I pray in this room right now that there would be a huge sense of release. For some, Lord, it would be a release because they need to realize right now today they are forgiven. They are they are no longer carrying the burden of that sin and that guilt. For others, Lord, there's a huge sense of release because they need to know from you they are worthy. That God, you do want to use them in spite of past failures, mistakes, or inadequacies. Inadequacies. For others, Lord, for others in this room, I hope, God, there is a huge release of passion because they have been apathetic in their serving, in their praying, in their, in their, in their husbandry, in their, in their uh, being a good spouse, Lord, being a, a uh, present parent, in their giving, in their sacrificing. God, they have been apathetic. And Lord, I ask today, right now, you would call them out into a different place so that they can experience a different future. Lord, I pray in this room right now that you would just lift through your Holy Spirit, the spirit of every man, woman, and child. I ask, Lord, that you would call us out into the journey of the unknown, that we would go step by step, openly, God, and honestly, maybe afraid or uncomfortable, but knowing that you've got us, that you've had us, and that you always will. I thank you, Lord, for this time of prayer, and I move us now, God, in exaltation to, into a time of praise. I ask, Lord, that you